I've entitled this talk, Sabbath 2, Resistance. And I'm going to take as read the fact that you've all listened to the first one, Sabbath 1, which is about rest and worship. I'm indebted particularly in this talk to John Mark Comer for the core of what I want to say. And so let me start with this. There's a certain amount of discipline that is involved in the Sabbath. It's hard for us in a world that lives at a certain speed to live intentionally with a sense of slowing down, quiet, rest. And it won't just happen. You have to be intentional. You have to prepare. You have to plan. And it takes a certain amount of self-control. And I think also the capacity to say no to things, which is not something that we most of us are used to. But this whole question of slowing, quieting ourselves down, uh, uh, resting in terms of Sabbath, is about bringing our entire lives to a place of restfulness and peace. And so maybe that's a good place to start and say that God eventually has to command the Sabbath to the children of Israel. And it strikes me, I suppose, slightly odd that it's like commanding you to do something that you really like and really want. But we'd think that people would be chomping at the bit in some ways to practice Sabbath. But apparently there's something about our human condition that makes us want to hurry and move through life to life as fast as we can. And I think it has to do with the kind of relationship that we have with time. But due to whatever, our limitations, our dysfunction, our addiction, our immaturity, God has to command his people to do something that is deeply life-giving, and that's to stop and rest. And there are a number of commands in the Bible about Sabbath, and I want to look at two, um, the two perhaps most important. The, one, the first one comes from Exodus, and the setting is this. Israel were camped out around Mount Sinai. They were uh, newly out of Egypt. They'd had the enormous uh, adrenaline and excitement of leaving with all the stuff that they had and being chased and all the stuff that had gone on. And in chapter 11, Exodus chapter 11, God says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He says, although the earth, the whole earth belongs to me, you guys are going to be, have the special role, the special function. You're going to be the people of God. And so in a a positive way, he says, you'll need a manifesto for this. You'll need some sort of guidance on how to live in the new reality of being set free from slavery. So God sets out in chapter 20 of Exodus, the Ten Commandments. And we get to the one which is perhaps way, way bigger than all of them. If you look at them, if they had, if you had to, uh, it's about 30% of the Ten Commandments is taken up with this one. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That's chapter, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, it's easy for us to forget, and I mentioned this last week, that 
the Sabbath day is blessed and it's holy. And we get sucked into a life of living at speed, uh, uh, an enormous busyness. The pandemic came along and there were so many people who said, we've been living at about 5,000 revs and suddenly they dialed down to about 500. And they said, oh, we'd never go back up to what we were before. But I suggest you just take a look around and see what's happened post-pandemic and how things have sped up again. And so remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy is to remember that life comes to us as a gift. It's to remember to take time to delight in grateful worship, gratitude to God for all that he's done and remember what he's done. Remember to be present to the, the, the present joy in our lives. And I think he says remember because we are prone to forget. We have amnesia. We forget so quickly what God has done for us. So he commands us to remember. Then he says this in Exodus 20 verse 9 and 10. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, not do any work, neither you nor your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, your animals, or any alien within your gates. The key line is, at this point, that it is a Sabbath to the Lord. It can also be translated as set apart or dedicated to the Lord. So the Sabbath isn't just a day for rest, it's also a day for worship. And I think that the way that um, certain Western societies, South Africa particularly, I know, and um, a, a lot of Western culture, at one point was set up that there was this day of rest for worship. Now, worship doesn't necessarily mean singing, um, uh, although that's a great thing, but it's a whole life orientation towards the goodness of God. And on the Sabbath, we're invited to turn our attention to the goodness of God in the whole of creation and all that he's given to us, to delight in the, the joy of what God has presented to us. As he says, the whole earth is mine. And to live in that kind of freedom, that kind of um, rest and worship. And the thing is that rest and worship are, are really broad categories. There's plenty of room for interpretation in terms of personality and stage of life. There's no formula or checklist or schedule that you have to keep. You know, if, if you're a large family with lots of kids, it's different to someone who's a single person or retired. And so we have to grapple with and make compromise in terms of what it looks like. But often when people hear a worship, they assume it's just singing songs, reading the Bible and intercessory prayer. It's all good stuff. And I think that's part of what we do when we are together on a Sunday. But it's a, a, a larger word in the sense that it embraces the whole of life. So it could be... Uh, it, it could have something to do with eating and drinking good wine with friends, a long lazy dinner or a walk on the beach, a whole range of different things. Basically anything that shows you are grateful and you recognize God's goodness and his reality and the fullness of all your life. Then here's the interesting thing. In chapter 20, verse 9 and 10 as we've read, then 11 is the justification. Why this is motivated by God. 
For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This Sabbath command is the only one of the Ten Commandments with a why behind it, a reason. So at no point does he say, uh, don't murder, and here's why it's a bad thing to do, or don't steal, and here's why it's not a good idea. But for the Sabbath, he goes back to the Genesis story and to the rhythms of grace and what God had planned and what he did through the whole process of creating and then resting. And, and I reference what I said last week um, for the rest of that. So that's the first command, the Exodus expression of that and the command to rest and to worship. The second one that I want to look at, the second one, we could call Sabbath as resistance. Now the setting is slightly different. It's 40 years odd later. The children of Israel are camped out on the Jordan uh, next to the Jordan River. Canaan is just across the river. They haven't yet entered in. It's been 40 years roughly since the Mount Sinai event where God gave the Ten Commandments. But things have not gone exceptionally well. They've for 40 years had a delay in getting to the land that they were supposed to come straight into. And Moses gives them the Ten Commandments, this rule of life, this uh, template, if you like, to, to frame their existence together. He gives it again to this next generation. Most of them maybe weren't at Mount Sinai. Now, if they were, they were pretty old or they were young at that particular time and they're now older. And so, in a sense, there's this refresher course that Moses gives, a second edition of the Ten Commandments. But there's a subtle shift, and I want to read it to you from Deuteronomy chapter 5 now. And listen carefully for the shift. And here's what it says. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. The difference between the Exodus passage and the Deuteronomy passage, the difference between when they have just newly come out of Egypt and are standing at Mount Sinai, and now 40 years later having trundled through the desert for all this time, is the difference between remember the Sabbath that we had in Exodus and observe it in this Deuteronomy passage. Now, what is the difference to remembering and observing? Well, I suppose you can look at it as uh, like a holiday, that we observe Easter or we observe Christmas that we gear up for it, we plan for it, we know it's coming, and we do what we can to make it special and to enjoy it in all its fullness, uh, maybe without all the family drama at Christmas. But it's that kind of thing that God is saying to observe the Sabbath, to make it such a thing that you actually gear your life towards this moment of rest and encounter and regeneration, revitalization, re-energizing re of the spirit and this once a week celebration this one in seven celebration otherwise the command is pretty much the same um, remember uh, but then he ends it differently again so it starts off observe the Sabbath day 
And then he goes on to say, you shall not do any work, neither you and all the people that are not supposed to work. And then in verse 15, he says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now remember, in the Exodus passage, he refers back to creation, the rhythms of grace in creation. Now, as they're about to enter the promised land, as they are now after 40 years of struggling through the desert, he says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought you out there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Now, that's not just a small shift. That's not just a minor tweak. That's a totally different rationale behind the command. Creation and liberation, they're, they're, they're two largely different things. The Sabbath command from Exodus is grounded in the creation story, that kind of rhythm that God built into the world, that we tap into for our well-being, our spiritual and emotional and physical and every other part of our well-being, the reason for the Sabbath. But in this Deuteronomy passage, this command is grounded in the Exodus story, Israel's freedom from slavery, slavery to the empire of Pharaoh in Egypt. And that's a whole different reason for the Sabbath. So why the change? Well, this was the first generation that had grown up in freedom. Just think of it for a moment. When you come out of Egypt, we think, oh, great, they were liberated. But every single person who left Egypt uh, with the, the Israelites, as they left Egypt, every single one of them had been born in slavery. They had worked and they had lived under an oppressive regime. Their parents were slaves, their grandparents, their great-grandparents, their great-great-grandparents. For 400 years they had lived. It had built itself into their very bones. They were slaves to an empire that had been devouring human beings, one brick, one pyramid, one building at a time for centuries. Egypt's desire for building was so ravenous and their empire that they actually built store cities. They had so much stuff that they had cities to store stuff in. They needed more and more and more. And Egypt, like every economic system, is very often built on the backs of those who are oppressed, who um, who are who don't have an option, who are not free to make choices. Cheap labour has always been at the base of um, most uh, wealth generation, and slaves don't get a Sabbath. They work it all day, every day, until they die. They're bought and sold like a commodity. And I think we need to say that Egypt is alive and well. And we, as Westerners, live in the thick of Egypt. We live in a culture of more. A culture, in a sense, that has a lust for more. It's built into the fabric of how our system works. More food, more drink, more clothes, more devices, more apps, more things, more experiences, more of everything. And like Egypt, we have so much stuff that we build 
cities, store cities. We call them storage units. And, and I just looked up to think that it's over a one billion pound industry. Uh, I think there was more than a billion pounds made in the UK last year on storage units. Like Egypt, we are in a system that is built on the backs of others. And we've, in a way, found a way to, to, to make this kind of slavery guilt-free in the sense that even though slavery officially ended in 1807 or 1833, it depends how you look at it uh, in terms of legislation here, but in the 19th century anyway, we just outsourced it overseas. And apparently there are about 28 million slaves in the world today. More than were ever trafficked in the transcontinental trade of slaves from Africa to the Americas and to the Caribbean. Um, I read a very good book 18 months ago. It's probably one of the best books I've read for a long while. Born in Blackness by Howard French. That, that charts the way in which Western democracies and the wealth of Europe and America particularly is built on the back of slave labor. And the odds are that most of the stuff that we have in our homes, um, our T-shirts, our shoes, our bananas, are, 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 are produced with that kind of cheap labor. Now, I don't want to push this too far, but it bears thinking, because what does this have to do with the Sabbath? And I think it has a huge amount to do. Walter Brueggemann, the Old Testament scholar, I'm, I'm very partial to his stuff. He calls the Sabbath an act of resistance. That's where we get this thing of Sabbath as resistance from. It's an act of, of rebellion against Pharaoh and his empire, against the isms of our Western culture, globalism, capitalism, materialism, and consumerism. We are quickly made slaves. And that's not just the poor, that's the rich as well. Sabbath is a way to stay free and to recalibrate regularly the way that we live and the way that we are grateful for where we are and what we have and make sure that we never get sucked back into that kind of slavery to these things, or even worse, become slave drivers ourselves. Now, it's hard for some of you who are younger to think of stopping once a week. If, say, for example, commerce, commerce stopped once a week, or restaurants, or Amazon, or websites were all closed for once a week. I grew up in a world where at uh, lunchtime on Saturday, and certainly by five o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, everything shut. If you hadn't got it by uh, Saturday afternoon, you waited till Monday because nothing was open. Everything stopped. And there was a, a rhythm and rest to that kind of life. And Sabbath or, or, or slowing or stopping or resting and worshipping and being grateful is a way of saying enough. All these things are not bad that we've spoken of. But most of us have more than enough to enjoy a rich and satisfying life, um, and, and to echo, say, with the psalmist, that we actually lack for nothing. Under the Torah, it was not possible for um, selling and buying to take place. 
as far as the uh, Israelites were concerned. And it's a, it's a way of breaking the addiction we have to our twin Western gods of accomplishment and accumulation. Not stuff that is evil in itself, but it's become idolatrous in the way that it's been embedded into our culture. And it does need for us to see that it doesn't take advantage of someone else. We need to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm good. I don't need anything more. I don't need another one of this or that or another thing. I'm okay where I am. I have enough. And Sabbath, stopping and resting and worshipping and gratitude is a way of, of expressing that. So in a sense, Sabbath is guerrilla warfare. It's a tactic that we use to not buy, not sell, not shop, not surf the web, not read magazines and so on, and to put everything away and enjoy being who we are. Drink deeply on the well of ordinary life, a meal with friends, time with a family, a walk in the forest, afternoon tea, slowing down long enough to enjoy life with God, who offers everything that our society and its materialism and consumerism that it can't offer, that kind of deep contentment and restfulness and peace. Now, let me just say this as something that's quite important. Sabbath is not just a 24-hour slot that you've got to find some time for. It's a spirit of restfulness that goes with you, that slowly you learn to live with a deep sense of restfulness and peace and contentment that goes with you throughout your week. And so it infects not... It's not just about that one moment in the week. It then has ramifications, implications all the way through the way that you live your life in a sense with ease and gratitude, appreciation, peace, prayer. A way of working from rest, as we said last week. Not for rest, with nothing to prove. Uh, Richard Raw, another favorite of mine, said that non-doing in a progress-orientated culture puts us in a relation of relationship of trust with God. We learn to trust that God is in control. And he says that Sabbath is God creating space for us to be beers, being, human being, not doing, and to learn how to listen, to wait, to hope, to depend, and to trust. He actually says we need to be understimulated in the kind of world that we live in now. So, as I come to the end of this now, let me just say this. It may take a while to get hold of this and to and to to integrate it into our lives. It's something that we have to do a practice, a skill that we have to work on. It may take years of trial and error. We will never actually get it right in the sense that we'll always be experimenting and shifting as our life circumstances change. But the point is this, that this practice is so foreign and so alien to our culture even our church culture, that it will take a while. And that's okay. It's all about us being not in a hurry and slowing. I mentioned the story of the uh, porters and guides in that African story about three weeks ago on slowing, that they carried a, a huge distance 
on the first day and the second day they refused to move and when asked why they said they were waiting for their souls to catch up with their bodies and in a very real sense when we take time to stop and to slow and to be quiet and to delight in God and rest in worship our souls catch up and we are renewed we and there's a there's a huge amount of freedom in that we are free of the need to get more to do more to be more free from the spirit of our age and open to the spirit who brings peace so for reflection then this week the same questions actually as last week how can i keep this sabbath command for rest and worship how can i keep the sabbath command as an act of resistance secondly what do i need to refrain from to stop doing to take a rest from and thirdly what things would i build in to a day of delight and joy god bless see you on sunday